You're digging the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast with LD, Will the Thrill, and TJ2. Hey guys, welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I am your host, along with me for the ride, as always, is Mr. Will the Thrill. Greetings and salutations. And the man that's driving this bus straight to hell, Mr. TJ2, the deuce. Is that a whoopee cushion? It did kind of sound like that. That was, a, that was an oddly farty noise to, yeah, for me to be sipping tea. Do you have yeah. a Leslie Nielsen fart machine? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I think I just found out about the Leslie Nielsen fart machine. And oh, God, it's hilarious hilarious to me we don't we're recording this very ahead of time for a couple reasons for me specifically i think i would like to think that i'm going to start my new job on monday which is going to be pictionary so we're just trying to get as many in the can as possible because of course my availability goes out the window especially now since we moved to georgia so i'll be working west coast hours but Living in East Coast, which means I'll work Putting a bunch my- of them in the can, but enough about your honeymoon. <laughs> okay, so I think. Uh, <laughs> does anybody else have anything of importance they would like to say? <laughs> uh, well, that about wraps it up for me. All no, right. I'm good. Okay. All right. Well, um, okay. If you guys would like to give us money, you can check out our Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, speaking of paying some bills, I think this might be the perfect spot for our first ad break. And we're back. All All right. right. So, T, tell us what is going... You know what? Just for some folks that might be stumbling in, can you recap last episode for us just a little bit and who you're covering this time around? Sure. Sure. We're covering uh, the late, great Waylon Jennings. This is part three. Uh, Recap part two. It was sad. Yeah, it was sad. That was it. Uh, This one was sad. I'm going to tell you because I know some folks, and I am too, and I know Will, you are, are pretty much waiting for the slap nuts cocaine good time hour to come in. <laughs> yes. I'm just specifically waiting for the cocaine bear. Waylon's got a reputation, I'm just saying. I mean, yeah, but that, that kind of kicks in next, next week. But we talk this week a lot about personal life and his career advancement and uh, the way he bounced back from some tough stuff. So in part two of our ongoing series on Waylon Jennings, we covered his friendship with Buddy Holly, his time as a traveling member of the Crickets on the Winter Dance Party, and how he narrowly avoided being a part of the day the music died by giving up his seat on the ill-fated plane that crashed, killing Buddy Holly, the Big Bopper, and Richie Valens. Waylon went back to Texas, a broken soul, distraught over the loss of his friend and mentor. He wanted nothing to do with music or the music business, and that's where we're going to pick things up. Excellent. So, when Waylon first went home to Texas after the plane crash, he said that all anyone wanted to do was talk to him about Buddy Holly. They wanted to know what he was like in his final hours. They wanted to talk about the crash and ask why he gave up his seat on the plane. Quote, I didn't have anything to say, Waylon said in his self-titled autobiography. How could I? He was the first person to believe in me. He was my friend. All I could think about was what a good soul he was and what a happy man. He loved living. He was in love with his wife and in love with his music. He was so young. To this day, it just doesn't seem fair. Still, Waylon had to make money because he had a wife and kids to support. So he went back on the air as a DJ at KLL. But he said that his spirit was pretty much gone. So he was supposed to be a wild man disc jockey, but he couldn't turn on the charm and the humor the way he could before. The Corbin family, who owned the station and were friends of his, tried to cheer him up. But he said that he, quote, wasn't worth shooting at that point. He felt guilty that he had survived and that his friends had not. And that the last words he said to Buddy, although he was joked, was, I hope your old plane crashes. The one person who was finally able to reach him was friend and fellow DJ, High Pockets Duncan, whose name you were quite amused by in episode two, Will. I was, yes. Yeah. Now, he was a little older and a little wiser, and he knew what Waylon was going through. He was able to console him by asking him bluntly if he would bring Buddy, Richie Valens, and the Big Bopper back if he could. Waylon, of course, said that he would. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, 
Even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. Quote, can you do that? He asked. Waylon, of course, said no. Quote, that's right. You can't bring them back and you didn't send them out either. That was kind of what helped things sink in a little bit for Waylon. And he recounted that in an interview with Ralph Emery. Waylon was starting to at least cope with what had happened, but now things were getting really bad at home. He and wife Maxine were always at odds. He said he came home from work one day and she was standing on a chair with a noose around her neck. But the other end. Jesus. What? was tied to a light bulb. So oh. when she jumped off the chair, the light bulb just busted and she almost comically like hit the floor. What? Oh, man. Now, he didn't know what in the world kind of point she was trying to make doing that. They already had two kids when he left on the winter dance party in early 1959. And in early 1960, they added a third, that being a son who Waylon named Buddy mm. after his friend, Buddy Holly. Wow. The kids were all that they had in common, though, with Waylon saying that they'd gotten married way too young and basically only because they thought she was pregnant. He said all their problems weren't just related to Maxine's very odd behavior, though. Waylon admitted, and you can read into this what you'd like to, that he, quote, messed around a lot, being a hotshot, locally famous DJ with a mountain of guilt on his plate to deal with. Now, maybe he meant he wasn't home much and just liked to you know, go out and hang with his friends, or he, he, might, he might mean other things. Who knows? Actually, I think we might know. <laughs> I have an inkling. Um, yeah, I think I have an inkling of what he might have meant. They also had financial struggles, and Waylon was offered a lot of money to leave KLLL for KDAV, where he had once taken part in Sunday dance party shows with Buddy Holly and Roy Orbison. He took the offer, but he said he really didn't fit in there, and he didn't stay very long. So he bounced around looking for work. He was on the road, and he would send money home. So he himself could only afford to eat either breakfast or supper, but never both. And he Aww. figures that he ate lunch oh, about twice a week. So uh -huh. most days he was subsisting on one meal. Yikes. The distance as he traveled looking for work made things worse, worse with Maxine. However, a trip to visit her ill father started to turn things around for him. Appropriately, he started to rise from the ashes in Phoenix, Arizona. There was a guy there named Earl Perrin that was buying up a bunch of radio stations with the intention of starting a network. He hired Waylon for his station, KCKY, where he met a guy named Jim Garshow. Now, Jim and the other DJs got it in their heads somehow that Waylon wanted to get them fired and steal their jobs. So one day, Jim confronted Waylon and told him he didn't like him. Quote, well, I couldn't care less. Now, how about that? I really don't like your ass either, Waylon shot back. So the two squared up and were about to fight, but realized that neither was afraid of the other. So instead of fighting, respect was earned, and a lifelong friendship magically developed. <laughs> so kids, that's a life lesson. If you're wondering, as you make your way through this crazy world, how do I make friends? Just tell somebody, I don't like your ass, and ball your fist up. I think that's that's the lesson we've learned from Waylon here. <laughs> Jeez. So through Jim, Waylon met a guy named Tom Haley. Haley had hired Jim to produce radio style programs complete with commercials that were played in between movies at drive-in theaters across the country. Waylon said Haley was usually super nice and a very giving man unless he was drinking, in which case he'd get very mean. If he was drunk and you didn't do exactly what he told you to, he'd call you a quote, star acting son of a bitch. Huh. It was 
partly because of this dude that Waylon never liked being called a star for, for the rest of his life. Mm. Anyway, he provided entertainment between movies at drive-ins, and he hired Waylon to work with Jim recording these miniature programs. They did so in Jim's Arizona garage in the summertime when it would often be 120 plus degrees. Good gravy. So they would basically, yeah. So they basically take all their clothes off aside from their pants as they implored listeners to quote, enjoy the stars under the stars and read ads for Sam's diner in Dove Creek, Colorado, where every meal came with beans. (laughs) Um, Apparently Dove Creek fancied itself as the pinto bean capital of the world. In Colorado, I, huh? That's something to be proud of. Fun fact. Be proud of. Yeah, fun fact. So Waylon was playing at a joint. In, yeah. So on top of doing that and his DJing, Waylon was playing at a joint in Arizona called the Galloping Goose with a couple of local guys named Billy Joe Stevens and Claude Henry. Now, if you remember from part two, he had recorded a single with Buddy Holly called Jolly Blind. It had been released, but it didn't make much of a dent. Waylon said if Buddy Holly had lived, that might have been different. But instead, he said he heard it on the radio one time on a far-off station, and that was it. Before he hit the road looking for work, though, he had gone into a studio and recorded four songs in Lubbock for a small label. One was put out as a single, and it got local airplay, but it wasn't really a hit. Still, we're going to hear that song now. If you listen closely, you will definitely be able to pick up what sort of music Waylon was listening to and being influenced by at the time. So here's Waylon Jennings with My Baby Walks All Over Me. Young Davy Crockett walked the mountains. Captain Davy Jones, he walked the sea. And I'd walk on any man who tried to steal my baby and my baby. Walks all over me. Don't get me wrong, she's quite a woman. She's sweet and daring, she knows where she stands. She loves me long, she loves me wrong, she rules me and I like it. Well, I guess that's just a part of nature's plan. A man likes to rule in his own castle. I lay down the law, she smiles and then agrees. She waits until I'm through And then she does what she started to Because she knows she can walk all over me still aren't even yet to a point where Waylon sounds like the Waylon that we all know. Not at all, yeah. Well, did you hear what I was singing when it started? What was it? Folsom Prison Blues. That, that, Mm. yes. So, you can likely tell from hearing that that Waylon was a big fan of Sun Records, which at the time featured the likes of his old buddy Roy Orbison, Jerry Lee Lewis, Johnny Cash, and Elvis Presley. That that had Sun Records written all over it. Yep. Uh, Yeah, for sure. To me. So, at this point, Tom had an idea of not only having the short recorded segments air in between movies, but actually staging concerts at drive-ins featuring Waylon. So he would go to drive-ins, lie and claim to be from the Grand Ole Opry, and book Waylon to play on top of concession stands during intermissions and in between movies. The first of those shows was in the aforementioned Pinto Bank Capital of the World, Dove Creek, where Waylon brought Billy Joe along. They didn't have a drummer, though, <laughs> So they hired one from a local titty bar. <laughs> I mean, when in, when in, what's the name of the city? Dove Creek. <laughs> Dove Creek, yeah. When in as Dove Creek. Do as, do as what the Dove Creekians do? Uh-huh, as the Dove Creekians do. 
he said, quote, there we were singing white lightning and I felt like taking my clothes off, Waylon said. Now, Waylon liked getting to play in front of people, but he said it was mainly a lot of girls that screamed a lot. Now, obviously, he enjoyed that kind of attention, but it bothered him that they weren't actually listening to him. For part of this, Waylon was driving around in a car that Tom loaned him, but the steering was so screwed up that it would not turn left. So <laughs> let's say you're driving down the road and you want to turn into a driveway on the left. You would have to drive past it until you could make a right turn and then make another right turn and get back on that same road with the house now on your right. It's reminiscent of like Jim Croce and his car problems. Very, yeah, very similar. Increasingly, Waylon and Tom were going at it. And on one occasion, very drunk, Tom pulled a gun on Waylon. So that was pretty much the end of that relationship. He told Tom to go F himself and he quit in the middle of a trip to Blackfoot, Idaho. So Waylon hmm. and Billy Joe made their way to Salt Lake City looking for work. Now, two things happened there of significance. Now, I don't think he even mentioned it in part two because there, there was a lot of other stuff going on, but Waylon actually got dosed on his first trip to New York and he had taken some truck stop speed driving back to Texas from New York after the winter dance party because he didn't want to go to sleep. But aside from that, Waylon was clean. Now, he did smoke like freaking chimney, six packs a day, but he didn't even drink alcohol. He was introduced in Salt Lake City to amphetamines for the first time, pills in general. And that is a really weird place to go to get turned on to pills. I wouldn't have guessed. Like yeah. The teetotal tea capital of America. I don't think you can, it's hard to find like caffeinated coffee there, but he was able to get some greenies. So there you whatever. go. Yeah. That would become an unfortunate staple of Waylon's life for many years to come. He and Billy Joe also rolled into a place called the Esquire Club, and they asked to speak to the manager, you know, hoping they could possibly play there and make some money. The manager was a very attractive woman, one who carried herself with a confidence that was striking. When Waylon introduced himself and asked her name, she responded, quote, pussy. <laughs> now, believe it or not, that was not actually her given nomenclature. Her oh, name you don't was... say. What? <laughs> right. I, I figured that was probably confusing. I mean, that's such a common name in Salt Lake City. Her name was actually... <laughs> Those Mormons, you know. Her name was... <laughs> right. It's all that salt or something. <laughs> no, I, don't, name... I don't know if they can... Wait, no, they can't have caffeine or alcohol or nicotine. It, I think they can have salt. Oh, good. <laughs> probably salt. Well, good. Probably there's salt. plenty of it. But yeah. her actual name was Lynn Mitchell. Yep, Lynn Mitchell, and she well, did book Waylon and Billy Joe to play at her club for the summer. Well, that's not as creative as, you know, the other thing. Oh, uh, no, I mean, I, yeah, I, I would have gone by the other one. Me too. Um, maybe that was her middle name or something. Maybe. You know? Maybe it's like, maybe it's like French, like Pousset. Hola, Waylon. My name is Pousset. I'm pretty I sure that's Ola, not, no. <laughs> Wow. It's bonjour. <laughs> you should do a cover of Jolie Blonde because. Uh, oh, right. <laughs> Well, anyway, her name was Lynn Mitchell. <laughs> and she booked Waylon and Billy Joe to play her club for the summer. So Waylon was, would move to Salt Lake City for a few months with Maxine and her kids now in Coolidge, Arizona. Maxine didn't like living there. She didn't like cleaning house. She really only seemed to like fighting with Waylon. He suspected she was probably drinking by this point, and she was threatening to move back to Texas and to take the kids with her something that punched Waylon right in the heart. He and Maxine didn't even like each other at this point, but he adored their kids. And a fourth, Dina, was on the way by this time. So maybe there was one other thing that she liked doing. Anyway, <laughs> they seem to have a lot of kids. They have lots of kids. Waylon moved back after the summer ended and got a regular gig at a local place called the Sand and Sage Bar. He shortly thereafter scored a better paying gig at Wild Bill's Steakhouse in Phoenix, and he would drive back and forth there from Coolidge. But one day, a pregnant Maxine announced that she was moving back to Texas and taking the kids with her, and she left. So she was using the kids essentially as a bargaining chip, Waylon said. He hated for them to leave, but he and Maxine were not compatible, never should have wed in the first place, and he admitted he wasn't a very good husband to her. Meanwhile, Lynn had just left her husband in Salt Lake City, and followed Waylon down to Phoenix. She got a job at Wild Bills, and she and Waylon got an apartment together. Maxine somehow got the phone number of that apartment and called, and Lynn answered. 
So if the marriage wasn't already dead and buried at that point, that was the final nail in the coffin. Hmm. Waylon said that Lynn was totally different than Maxine. She was very sensual. She had a filthy mouth and she had no hangups about sexuality. And maybe slight warning for tiny ears here. Waylon said she could totally throw it in bed. <laughs> he said that he said that was some <laughs> all right. <laughs> Hello. Oh, I'm here. Nope. I'm <laughs> here. I'm here. Anybody there? I'm here. I'm just. It gets. Um, it, and, I just don't he even. Pretty much admitted that, that you just don't even. I just. I don't even. There's no. There's no end to that. I just. <laughs> I, I don't. That's think, it, I right? don't even. I don't even. <laughs> okay. Well, Waylon said she pretty much showed his young ass what to do in bed. Mm. Uh, is the is the thick and thin of it. Waylon got fired from Wild Bills not for anything he did. It was apparently just not uncommon for the owner to abruptly give his musicians the heave ho. So Waylon got a gig at a small bar called Frankie's that held about 90 people. Billy Joe decided he didn't want to play anymore. So Waylon scraped up the little money he had to buy himself a Fender and an amp, and he started playing solo. One night, however, a heavyset fellow who was a shoe salesman by day walked up and asked Waylon if he could play with him. They ended up playing for about four hours that night. After a few weeks, Waylon started to pay that guy, whose name was Jerry Gropp, $15 a week, and he taught him to play what he called rickety rack on the guitar a quote fast rhythm with straight eights and he soon played it better than Waylon did Waylon said soon Jerry's cousin Ed Metzendorf joined them on bass and they had themselves a band they started to attract larger and larger crowds which included a mix of bikers bar hoppers and even some major league baseball players that were in town for Cactus League spring training games Tony Canigliara was among them by the way who ended up playing for the Red Sox Wild Bill rehired Waylon for more money, then fired him again. But he, Jerry, and Ed were hired by a club called Cross Keys, a former jazz club in a fairly ritzy fashion district right across from Goldwater's department store. And this is Arizona. So, yes, it is exactly the Goldwaters that you're probably thinking about, i.e. the family that gave us Barry. Okay. Uh, Waylon's crowd was very loyal, and they actually followed him to the new club. A couple of building contractors ended up in the crowd for a couple of nights, and they really dug Wayland's show. They were about to start building a club for a guy named Jimmy D. Musial just across the line in Tempe. Jimmy, who went by the name J.D., came to see Wayland, saw the big crowd, and immediately hatched a plan. If Wayland would come play at his new club, he would not only pay him well, he would essentially give him free reign. Wayland agreed, and he ended up designing the two-story club. Downstairs would hold about 300 people and would mostly host rock acts. Waylon would play upstairs in a room that held nearly 1,500 people. It would feature a beautiful dance floor, a top-notch sound system, and a wall-length 90-foot bar. Ed actually quit before they started JD's, and he was replaced by a guy named Paul Foster. Waylon also wanted to add drums to his group at this point. He had met and played with a fellow named Richie Albright. He was playing around Prescott, Arizona, born in Oklahoma, but raised in Baghdad, Arizona, which Waylon said was more of an open pit mine than a town. Albright was working driving a beer delivery truck when Waylon hired him for a band that would be called the Whalers. Huh. Now, Richie fit in perfectly. He and Waylon became as close as brothers to the point that they ended up naming their sons after one another. And it was he and Grop who also threw lots of nicknames on Waylon. And one of those was Waymore after a Swedish yodeler named Waymore Swenson. Wow. That's a name. There's only one person I, that I can I have. am Vin- Vincent. I am going to yodel. Oh, lolly. Huh. Is that good? No. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, the name Waymore stuck, and it would work its way into a very popular song later on, but we'll get there later. The Whalers were playing to pack rooms at JD six nights a week and got so popular they started playing afternoon and evening sets. They played country, but they also played blues, rock, and folk. And they started to draw in lots of students from nearby Arizona State University. J.D.'s gamble on Waylon had paid off big time. He was starting to attract a lot of attention, including from an old buddy from his KLLL days named Don Bowman. Now, the two had been so wild on the air together that management actually posted a sign next to the FCC regulations stating that they were not to be allowed in the on-air studio together at the same time. Don had moved to San Diego and was a successful DJ there, but he also started writing songs, mostly novelty tunes, but a few had been cut and released by the likes of Homer and Jethro. He had heard about Waylon having success in Arizona and reached out to see if he'd have any interest in writing some songs with him. 
Now, Waylon had toyed with songwriting a bit and had helped Buddy Holly finish You're the One, and he'd written a song with Sky Corbin that Frankie Miller had cut, but he didn't exactly know what he wanted to say yet as a songwriter. He himself liked clever songwriting. He said that Barry did a lot of that. He was a big fan of Harlan Howard, and he actually did an entire album of Howard songs later on, and he enjoyed folk songwriters like Joan Baez and Bob Dylan. Still, he met up with Don, who brought one unfinished song with him. All he had was a verse, and Waylon said the rest of the lyrics and the melody came so easily that he actually thought something was wrong, and he assumed that the song... Waylon would record that song in the near future, then again for an early major label album. But I want to hold off on playing it, or even telling you the name of it right now, because a much better and much more famous version comes later, so just dog ear this little piece of info for right now. They wrote a couple of other songs and recorded a couple of demos, which Don took to a friend in Los Angeles named Jerry Moss. At that point, Moss was part of a fledgling record label with a fellow who was as far from country as you can imagine, that being Herb Alpert of the Tijuana Brass Factory. Oh. oh, hey. This little, small, and independent record label was A&M Records. Now, this was a long time before they had the Carpenters and Procol Harum and, and all the big acts that ended up on A&M. They liked what they heard of Waylon, and on July 9th, 1963, a contract arrived at Waylon's apartment. It would pay him a 5% royalty rate for sales of two-sided singles. Waylon signed it and took a short break from JD's to go to Los Angeles and record. The problem was that Herb Alpert hated country music, basically. <laughs> um, but he thought that Waylon, with his vocal range, could be something more. He said he thought that the time was right then for country crossover artist to hit it really big. Quote, I think he was hoping I was more an Al Martino and I was leaning toward flat and scrugs, Waylon said. Now, Waylon had nothing bad to say about Herb or Jerry. He said they were the two most honest, caring guys that he ever met in the record business. Herb saw something in him worth trying to mind, but Waylon said whatever Herb thought he could get out of him just wasn't there. He recorded several songs, which would be released as a compilation album, what uh, once Waylon started to gain popularity later on, and three two-sided singles were released a few months apart in 1964. None were hits, but they did serve to make Waylon even bigger and more popular at JD's. So we're going to hear one of those songs now. Sign Unseen, you might not even know this is Waylon singing. It's probably in the vein of what Herb Alpert had in mind for Waylon as a pop-flavored, country-politan, light crooner type. You'll hear some horns, and you can probably figure out who is playing those on this one. This is a song called Love Denied. My nights are blue Unhappy too Are all my days Since I've met you My heart is broken My love is spared I loved you darling you never cared, that's why I cry over love denied. Those loving words you never spoke, the vows not made. I can't revoke The ring not given I can't return You wrote no letters For me to burn That's why I cry
I have taken poops that last longer than that song. Yeah. You know, there are probably people who are tuning in and listening to this and going, I thought you were playing Waylon. I thought this was a series about Waylon Jennings. When are you right? going to play some Waylon music? This still doesn't even sound like the Waylon that we that we know and love. That's no. we'll, we'll get there in our next episode. That what what did, what did y'all think about that one? It was very country politan crooner to me. Yeah, very it's, almost it, like Hank Snow. Actually, I was thinking Roy Orbison crying. Sort of. Yep. And funny you should say that, but we'll we'll get there in just a little bit. Mm. So, you know, we haven't played a lot of music in this series so far, so we're going to kind of double up right here. Once he was back in Arizona, after going to L.A. to record with Herb Alpert, Waylon took Richie Paul and Jerry Gropp into a Phoenix recording studio. What they basically wanted was a souvenir to sell at their shows, so they cut an album of what they called, quote, Screamers, i.e. the songs that patrons screamed for at JD's. They knocked out 12 songs in about five hours. <laughs> so it didn't take long. Entirely covers. The album was originally titled Wailing at JD's and was sold only at the club. But the first pressing sold out instantly, as did the second. It had covers of songs by Roy Orbison, Mel Tillis, Buddy Holly, Buck Owens, J.P. Richardson, and even a version of Money, That's What I Want, which we would listen to, except Waylon doesn't sing on that one. I think Jerry Gropp does. Hey, TJ, I hate to interrupt you, but we do need to take a short sponsor break. Hey, folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica report. And you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. And we are back. All right. Thanks, LD. Let's get right back into the life and times of Waylon Jennings. We're going to play something else, though, and I'm fascinated to get feedback from the two of you on this one. I mentioned that Waylon really liked Bob Dylan. He said he had a weird voice, but that it somehow pulled him in and he loved his songwriting. So we're going to hear Waylon right now cover the classic. Don't think twice. It's all right. Ain't no use in calling out my name, gal. Like you never did before Ain't no use in calling out my name, girl I can't hear you anymore When the rooster crows at the break of dawn Look out your window and I'll be gone You're the reason why I'm traveling on Don't think twice, it's all right Walking down that long, lonesome road, gal Where I'm bound, I can't tell Goodbye is too good a word, gal So I'll just say fare thee well Well, I ain't saying you treated me unkind You could have done better, but I don't mind you just sort of wasted my precious time Don't think twice, it's all right Ain't no use in turning on your light, babe The light I never know Ain't no use in turning on your light, babe I'm on the dark side of the road Still I wish there was something you could do or say Make me change my mind and stay You never did too much talking anyway Don't think twice, it's all right Ain't no use to sit and wonder why, babe It don't matter anyhow Ain't no use to sit and wonder why, babe If you don't know by now I'm a-thinking and wandering all the way down the road I once loved a woman, a child I'm told I gave her my heart but she wanted my soul 
Don't think twice, it's all right I really liked that one. I feel like the voice is coming into his own. You're starting to hear the wailing that we know, like in the vocal tone. Well, first of all, that song lends itself to a country treatment so well and so easily. Oh, sure. I mean, Bob's wasn't really far. I mean, his was folk, which is kind of a, you know, bastard cousin of country, sort of. I, I agree with you. A, well, it's, that's more the voice that we're used to hear, hearing, and I really like that version of it. Yeah, it's a, it's really good. I like it. I like that it's uh, it's upbeat, but it still has, like, that good old feel. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so, yeah, uh, Live at JD's, that's one of the songs that was featured on it. it again, also featured... Covers by Roy Orbison, Mel Tillis, Buddy Holly, Buck Owens, and a number of others. Surprisingly, it did not feature any covers by Manfred Mann of Manfred Mann's Earth Band. All right, let's just roll that beautiful Tom McGinnis. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Tom McGuinness, and that was your federally mandated Man for Man reference of the podcast. I hope you are satisfied. It's like honey and butter, that man's voice. Yes. Honey and butter. Now, we will come back to the musical side of things with Waylon in just a little bit. Right now, let's circle back to his relationship with Lynn. First, a little bit about her. Now, she was originally from Pike County, Kentucky, and her dad was a moonshiner. For reasons unknown, her father abruptly, and I mean very abruptly, moved the entire family all the way across the country to Idaho. Not long after the move, he was very tragically hit by a car while he was walking across the street and died. Oh, God. Shortly thereafter, Yikes. though, the feds came to town and dug up his body to make sure, A, that it was actually him, and B, that he was actually dead. So oh. I don't know what he did in Kentucky, <laughs> but someone was interested in finding out he was no longer with us. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. That's uh, certainly something there. Uh, Lynn's mother chewed tobacco, and she absolutely loved Waylon. Her daughter was actually a little less enthusiastic than her, but still, when both of their divorces were final, the two wed. Waylon said that he almost felt like the two got married to somewhat justify the fact that they'd been sleeping together and cohabitating before they were actually divorced. Still, there were major signs very early on that this was a very bad idea. Waylon said that Lynn didn't respect him as a man and that she belittled his intelligence, even though Waylon said he was actually smarter than she was. She had a lot of sexual bravado, but he believed that that might have been a little bit of a front to hide insecurities. As he got more popular, she got more and more worried that he was going to leave her for a younger woman. She wanted to control things. She didn't want Waylon to record, and she certainly didn't want him out on the road. In the CMT Inside Fame on Waylon, his brother Tommy Jennings said, quote, if she could have put a ring in his nose and dragged him around by it, it would have been fine. <laughs> but she didn't yeah. but she didn't have a man like that. <sighs> Very obviously she didn't have a man like that. So wow. the two wanted to have a child though. Now, Lynn had actually suffered a miscarriage before the two got married. And then she did get pregnant once they were married. Once she did though, it was discovered that she had a condi- a kidney condition called nephritis, I believe, which I, I've heard I wasn't of that. familiar with I've it. Heard, yeah. I had I've to look it up. It. Basically, it prevents the kidneys from filtering your blood. Oof. Yeah. So doctors told her that carrying the baby to term would could very likely kill her. So to save her life, the pregnancy had to be terminated. That sucks. Yeah, Waylon was distraught, but he and Lynn knew a very young woman who was pregnant by a married man who had no intention of offering the mother any kind of support. So they arranged to adopt the baby who showed up on their doorstep in a bassinet that had quote, no information written on the side of it. Waylon was completely smitten from the word go. And he was about to get to fully embrace the totality of his fatherhood because his first wife, Maxine sent the four kids that she and Waylon had together to live with he and Lynn. Wow. Quote, she would not not accept children by another wife in the house, Waylon said of Lynn. Lynn, Waylon said, showered their new daughter, Tommy Lynn, but almost ignored the existence of the other four kids. Mm -hmm. She made them stay outside all day, 
away, and then she would make them go play in another room or just go to bed. She rarely spoke to them, only yelling at them occasionally. Waylon said that little Buddy, about three or four by this time, once asked her in his his little boy voice, "When do you wake me?" Yes, I like you. I go sit. Yes, I like you. I go sit down. She said she was so cold to them, and she was also incredibly cold toward Waylon. And the two sometimes wouldn't speak for a week or more. When they did, the exchanges were rarely pleasant. Waylon said, when she was really laying into him on one occasion, the frustration and anger of weeks of the silent treatment and the way he was that she was treating his other kids just started to build up. And his impulse was to punch her. But Waylon did not believe that men should do that. So, of course, he did not hit her. He, he thought that was totally wrong, and he, he never did that in his entire life. What he did instead was take his frustration out on the closet door, which he ripped off the hinges you know what i i i I think that's a little bit better because that can be repaired yep you can you can fix hinges but you know he had been raised that you know a a husband is supposed to take care of his wife and he's supposed to put her on a pedestal and all that stuff so being violent for his wife is not something way would ever have done so he just took it out on the on the closet door and i mean the closet door had it coming in my opinion yeah well it just stares at you while you're doing stuff it doesn't you know very intrusive yeah, and I'm like putting on my drawers, and it's it's just there looking at yeah. me. I'll judge you with its knob out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh my god, this her behavior toward <laughs> Waylon and toward his kids went on for a year and a half, two years. Yes. Waylon realized that this was just not going to work, so he called his first wife, Maxine. Now he was doing very well financially at this time, making about fifteen hundred dollars a week, which in the mid nineteen sixties was probably a fortune. So he bought Maxine a house and filled it with furniture. And he had one of his brothers drive the children back to their mom. He stayed up all night crying and he was still sitting red eyed in a chair when a suddenly conciliatory Lynn walked up to him the next morning, told him not to be sad and that everything was going to be okay. We'll make it fine. She said, quote, if you'd called me a rotten son of a bitch or told me to F off or something like that, you might've been able to hold on to me, but you ain't got a chance now. He said, by this time, Waylon had already met a blonde bombshell by the name of Barbara. He met her for the first time during his time playing at the Cross Keys Club. With a model pretty face and a body to match, she caught every man's attention in the club, including Waylon's, obviously. Now, she was from a very wealthy family. She liked to party, and she liked Waylon a lot. He said nothing happened between them for a while, and he doesn't give a definitive timeline in his book of when it finally did. It may have been after the incident with Lynn and the kids or just when stuff was going bad between them. But she followed him to Houston at some point when he went to meet with some record labels and the two did sleep together on that trip. And it wasn't just a one-off hookup though. And we'll get back to that later. By now, fans were not the only people showing up to see Waylon at JD's. Other artists were coming to Arizona to see what all the fuss was about. Those included Willie Nelson, who said that he only had to hear one song to know he was looking at a star. And then there was Johnny Cash. I was astounded, really, his future roommate and bandmate Cash said. The whole place was packed. Waylon was playing his songs. He sang the Beatles. He sang Bob Dylan, Elvis, whatever was popular. Singer Bobby Bear was absolutely blown away as well. Now, he'd heard a few of Waylon's songs on a local radio station. Once he saw him in person, he believed the guy he was seeing deserved a shot being a major label country artist. So when he was driving back to Nashville, he thought about it, and he stopped at a payphone and made a call. That led to a phone call to Waylon. For the previous couple of years, Waylon had been through absolute hell, but he was about to be saved by what by what folks in shit. Let me start that sentence. That led to a phone call to Waylon. He had been through absolute hell for the previous several years, but he was about to be saved by what folks in Nashville called God's right hand. And that, friends, is where we're going to hit the pause button this week. Okay. So thoughts. Um, cheese and crackers, dude. How many like, kids does he have? <laughs> five, five now? Five at this point? Yeah. Five? Is it, is it five, T? Five kids? Yes. Yeah. Five. Uh, four with Max, or yeah, four with Maxine, and then they adopted Tommy Lynn. So yeah, five. It's just funny, like, um. And more, you, more coming. You, you, you know, you had, you said that it showed up at a bassinet. Yes. With like no instructions. How long were you attempting to adopt? 
Who me? Yeah. Oh, a couple of years. Years. And and you yep. had to drive to Texas. Uh huh. To pick her up, and this one just shows up in a basket with like no instructions. It was yeah. a different time. With, with yes, with like no, with no information was written on the side of the basket. <laughs> Just baby in a basket. Yep. yep. Baby on board. Cheese and crackers. It seriously contains was. Just... Chi- contains one child. Didn't even have that though, did it? No. No. Oh, um, and I, I'm telling you, we've <clears throat> we've now reached we've reached kind of a hallmark because there's about to be a very major change. And I'm telling you that you know there was some nut stuff in this episode too, but next week is when the car swerves in into the ditch and we will never get it out <laughs> I am next, next week okay is when that. the slap nuts cocaine good time hour commences and it, it rolls for however long this series rolls so this was kind of a palate cleanser between the morbid sadness of part two and what's to come we this is kind of an in-between episode but hopefully you enjoyed it and uh, we'll have one more song after uh, lindley fills us in on the socials all right well if you think we're doing an awesome job and again we're going to be switching this up we're actually having what I like to refer to as a meeting of the minds on Sunday, and we will be discussing the future of the Patreon. So if you would like to get in line to throw us some cash, you could do that at patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven. You can check out our Twitter. I mean, I don't know why you would. It's a desert wasteland, but you could do it if you want. Rock and roll heaven. L- Sorry, rock and roll LT. Our Instagram, rock and roll heaven LT. Facebook, rock and roll heaven pod. Still not saying our website and our TikTok is rock and roll heaven pod. Check that out if you want to uh, get some fun facts and awesome stuff. And eventually after we get a thousand followers on TikTok, we can go live. So I think it'd be a lot of fun. So if you have TikTok. 928 to go, baby. We're <laughs> almost there. Climbing the ranks. Um, you know, really want to do it so we can like do things like live stream concerts if we go to one and, and you know, other stuff like that. If if the three of us ever get together and do stuff, it'd be great. But yeah, you can also email us if that's your thing at rockandrollheavenlt at gmail.com. And please make sure to check out all the other awesome Pantheon podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com. All right, Mr. Will, do you have anything you'd like to say to the audience? I can't think of anything except for the fact that I think it's going to be fun starting next week. I'm really looking forward to the shenanigans. Shenanigans, yes. Sure. And all I have to say is thank you guys so much for checking out this episode. Please make sure to check out next episode, which will be part four on Waylon Jennings. And yeah, that's pretty much it for me. I'll see you guys next time. I'm going to hand the reins back over to TJ2. Close us out. All right. So we appreciate everybody listening. And again, go ahead and buckle those seatbelts. Return your seat to its full upright position because next week it just gets nuts and it stays that way until we're done so stick around for that thanks for listening to this one we're going to hear one more song this is another one from Waylon at jd's album this is Waylon covering the guy that he used to appear at the sunday dance parties with a fellow that he said was was such a high singer that he would never mind anything but he didn't end up covering the, this song of his so we're going to close out. And I want you to really listen to the range on this one. This not classic, traditional Waylon, but this is one that will really show off the vocal range. So here is Waylon Jennings with Crime. And we'll see you next week on Rock and Roll Heaven. I was all right for a while, for a while. Until I saw you last night You held my hand so tight Then stopped to say hello You wished me well You couldn't tell That I'd been crying Over you Crying over you standing all alone alone and crying 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 it's hard to understand but the touch of your hand can start me crying 
I thought that I was over you, but it's true, oh, so true. I love you even more than I did before, darling. What can I do for you? Don't love me, and it's plain to see. I'll be crying, 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 yeah, crying, crying. Oh, It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points. 